Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Church, praise the Lord. Man, God is the true God. We, we need not, we need not doubt that. Heavenly Father, as we open up your word and hear from you, our true God, Jesus, open up our eyes and soften our hearts. Let your spirit stir within us that we might see you clearly and worship you with every pore of our bodies. Just we hear, Lord, of the work that you've done for us and how you've assured that work at the cross and in your resurrection, Jesus, that you would be anchored to that and see, Lord, how it meets us today, today in our lives. Blessed be your name. You're an awesome God, good God, who loves to share your word with your children. In the name of Jesus, amen. Amen. But church, I remember last time um, I went to the hospital with Aviel. It wasn't a fun time. Um, as a matter of fact, we were at the hospital for about five hours. And it was just for a cold. Um, maybe this has to do something with it. It was midnight. By the time we got out, it was close to, well, I take that back, it's probably 10 o'clock. By the time we got out, it was 3 o'clock in the morning. Um, Abel, yes, he looked sick like a dog. Um, and we were both tired. And um, we were being held for some reason. Uh, under suspicion for human trafficking. I, I, I had forgotten, uh, that I didn't have my state ID. We were in the process of moving back to Illinois and I had my Florida driver's license. Um, not only did I have my Florida driver's license, but, uh, Abel, apart from the fact that his health had somewhat deteriorated, um, uh, he looked tired. He looked a little run down. We got out of the house with his PJs. Um, <laughs> and, uh, and I remember, um, the nurse asking for Aviel's ID. I said, well, I don't have his ID either. <laughs> um, let's just say we had two hours of almost interrogation, um, asking, is this really your son? Tell me a little bit about your story. Um, as a father, son, tell me a little bit about your story and what you can say about him being your father. And it was a little awkward, let's just say the least. But I remember Aviel just um, being sure of his story. I remember Aviel um, looking, even though he was sick, he looked confident. He wasn't flinching. He, he wasn't hesitant to answer questions. Um, Avio had this assurance of who he was. And he had an assurance that I was his father. He wasn't nervous. You know, and as I was looking over the scripture, uh, these, these passages this week, it reminded me of the assurance that John throughout this whole letter, has been wanting to make sure the church grasps and they're anchored at. And it's this assurance that we have a relationship with God through Jesus Christ and that this relationship has no end. It is life-transforming. It is eternal life in the very person of Jesus. Do you ever wonder whether you have a relationship with God? Do you ever wonder whether you are his child and whether he's your father? Have you ever doubted, man, not only am I really a Christian, but am I going to heaven after I die? Will I be with him for eternity? Do you really know that you know that you know 
Jesus. This morning, John is going to tell us three major certainties we can bank on in our lives as children of God. Three of them. And if you have the, your, your, uh, your Bibles, uh, go ahead and open them up to 1 John chapter 5. And we're going to be looking at verses 13 through 20. And if you don't have your Bible with you, that's fine. Uh, there's some Bibles in front of you uh, that you can look up uh, this passage. 1 John is all the way at the end in the latter part of the Bible towards the New Testament. Three major certainties we bank our lives on as children of God. You know, the Gnostics had this, this, this teaching that apparently what, what Jesus had taught and what the apostles had given to the church wasn't enough. Apparently the, the church needed to know more. There was a higher learning that if you could acquire it, then you would know you have a relationship with God. And, 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 and basically, their thought pattern was, if you know more, the more you know of, 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 of this being and of, and of different ways to get to him, then perhaps you will have the faith that you need to receive salvation. And John is saying, listen, you don't need to know more. You just need to be grounded and have assurance on what has already been given to you. You just need to know what you already have. And if you've been with us these these past few weeks, this word know pops up almost in every single paragraph of this letter of 1 John, doesn't it? As a matter of fact, we know that it pops up 39 times. And seven times in these verses that we're going to be looking at this morning. So, the first major certainty that we can bank our lives on as children of God is that we know we have eternal life. We know we have eternal life. And in verse 13, John says, this is why I've written this letter for you, to create an anchor for you. I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God that you may know that you have eternal life. This is the purpose. This is the whole thrust of, 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 of his desire to, to, as a pastor, make sure that his sheep, the children of God, are, are resting assured. It's, it's this assurance he wants them to have that they know Jesus and that this relationship with Jesus is forever. If you've believed or trusted in Jesus as the Son of God, then you know that He alone is the giver of life. You alone know that He is the one that makes possible a new birth. That He alone is the Savior of the world. That He alone provides satisfaction for the sins that you and I commit every single day. And that He alone is the only one that can be an advocate or atonement for our sins. And we've been reading this in and out in 1 John. That Jesus Christ is the only one that when we could not make ends meet, when we could not make our way back to God, He's the one that came and, and dwelt again amongst us as the Son of God. And we beheld Him. And He not only walked in our midst, but He made a way so that we as God's children could come back home. And this is what John wants to make sure the church understands. There is no other way but through Jesus. Not through our own strength. Not through anything else here in this world. Not through any other philosophy or ideology. It is solely through Jesus the Son of God, that we can have life everlasting. And here he says, if you believed in the name of the Son of God, guess what? It is sealed. You have eternal life. And he gives us these three tests. These three tests that we've been able to take and say, okay, well, 
So if I have faith in Jesus, I must be reflecting this. And he says, yes, you will be reflecting faith. You'll be reflecting a faith not in your own strength, but a faith that continues to grow in Jesus. Not only in head knowledge with a proper theology of who the Son of God is, that is Jesus, but also in the way you do life. As a matter of fact, it'll start permeating with how you obey God. Your faith will give birth to obedience. It'll be known for righteousness. Your life will be marked by seeking God and, 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 and not only being, being awed at His holiness, but, but relishing in it. Being thankful for it and pursuing that holiness. And not only will this faith be revealed in, 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 in your faith, in your, in how you live your life, but it's also in your obedience and your love for one another. You're going to love your brother and your sister. Because the more you experience the love of Jesus, you won't be able to help it. It's just going to come out of you. You're going to love without any strings attached those next to you. So do you ever doubt your salvation? As a Christian, brother and sister, you no longer have to. You no longer have to. As a matter of fact, when doubts come, be reminded that it was God who gave this salvation to you. That it was God who who made Jesus known to you. You, you know, in verse 11 of this chapter, John tells us, God gave us eternal life. And this life is in His Son. We didn't take it from God. We didn't go on a life journey and pursue God and finally attain to a certain righteousness that makes us right before Him. He gave it to us as we're in our dire straits. As we were in, 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 in needy, begging position, dead in our sin. It's been given to us by God. And we can't lose it because not only was it a gift, but because we never attained it by our works. Therefore, we can't lose it by our works. We gained it only by faith. Ephesians 2, 8 and 9 says, For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not of yourselves. It is a gift of God. Not by works that no man should boast. All three, salvation, grace, and faith were gifts to us from God. And we can't lose it. And I love this. In John 10, in his gospel, he reminds us that the Father's grip is greater than our very own sin. The Father's grip is greater and stronger than our very own sin. Jesus said in chapter 10, verse 27 through 29, he says, I give them eternal life. I give them, my children, eternal life, and they will never perish, and no one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them out of the Father's hand. So if you take Jesus at His word, brother and sister, you have eternal life. You know you have it. Now, I need to say a parenthetical statement here. And this is an invitation. Maybe this morning, as you've been, as you've been reading 1 John with us and studying it, you're noticing that you don't know this Jesus. That there is, that you're missing somehow this relationship, this intimate relationship that grants you assurance of not only what He's done for you, 
but that grants you assurance of living in what He's done for you. And so you've seen it in your life. You've seen that, that you don't have love for your brother and sister. That you're, that you're, that you're kind of, you're, you're, you're all over the place regarding who he is and you can't really put your finger on the fact that he is the son of God and that he alone can bring salvation to my, to my life. As a matter of fact, maybe you've seen it in, in how you desire no righteousness. And there is this strong urgency for you to just do life on your own. And he's saying, I know he loves me. I know he's given me Jesus, but I want to do life on my own. Friend, this morning, if that's you, this gift of eternal life found in Jesus is being offered to you. And it is no coincidence that you are here, hearing this very same message that John was giving to the church back then is given to us today. This gift of eternal life is a faith relationship. You don't gain it by effort. It's with the person of Jesus Christ, a relationship that has no end and cannot be lost. Verse 20, we read it here in this chapter, chapter 5 of 1 John, and we know that the Son of God has come and has given us understanding. Friend, He gives you understanding. You don't know uh, how to even place your faith in Jesus, how to trust in Him. He gives you understanding. He gives us understanding so that we may know Him who is true. We may know Him who is true. Do you want to know Him? He says, come to me, and I will give you understanding. John gives us two more things that contain full assurance that stem out of a secure life with Jesus. And the next one is that we can know God hears and answers His children's prayers. We can know that God hears and answers His children's prayers. These next few verses are not a, a tag-along. It, it, you know, it's not like John forgot to, to include these earlier in his letter and, and he said, oh man, you know what, before I close the letter, you know, let me just make sure I include the importance of prayer. No, he, he, he's not. He, he's, he's actually uh, making a, a very clear segue for us. He's saying, if you know you have a Father who loves you and has given you assurance of that relationship through Jesus Christ, aren't you going to want to talk to Him? Aren't you going to want to spend time with Him? Aren't you going to want to be by Him? And then He brings it crystal clear to us with some very poignant um, declarations here. Why? Because confidence in prayer stems from confidence in our salvation. He says, listen, and there are five prayer observations that we can see here. It says verse 14, and this is the confidence that we have toward Him. Let's pause there. One of, one of the tremendous blessings that as believers we can have is that we can come confidently to the throne of God. We can confidently approach God in prayer. And we don't need to knock on the door. We don't need to make sure that we're all cleaned up before we go. And man, you know what? I haven't, man, you know, yesterday was a horrible day. Uh, you know what? God, give me a second. Let me get washed up. Okay. Um, and then I'll come into your presence. Man, one of the tremendous blessings of having a relationship through Christ with the Father is that we're banking on what Christ has done. It's not based. Christianity is not based on our performance. Prayer is not even based on our performance. And I think sometimes we get lost in that. We think that prayer needs to be a performance. Prayer is just talking to our Father. Don't we all need to be reminded of that? I know I need to be reminded of that. I mean, it, it's something that just automatically overflows. And when you know that you have a father that's longing to hear of you, that will take any time of the day to say, mijo, I got you, man. Let, let, let's talk. 
that's, that's an assurance you have because you know you have a right standing before him through his son. Jesus Christ is our sympathetic high priest. And he makes intercession for us. Hebrews 4 through 16. Whenever you're wondering, you know, can I even approach God? You know, sometimes, you know, I make these prayers and I don't even know if they, if they get up, you know, up there. They kind of blow up here in the same room. And listen, Hebrews 4 16 says, let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace. And he says that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. When we know that there is grace, when we know that we can step into God's throne room for the purpose of receiving mercy. Friend, are you needy this morning? Do you need grace and mercy this morning? Come with confidence. Come. Because he's not only asking you to come, but he tells us he hears our prayers. Verse 14. If we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. Now I'll deal with the condition here in a minute, but for now I want to focus on the promise. God hears his children's prayers. Now God hears everything. He hears the silent whispers of the heart. But he hears favorably by coming to our aid when we, his children, pray. You know, this morning, that rings true to us in our pain, in our guilt, in our thick doubt of, of yes, I know I have a relationship with Jesus, but man, I just feel I can't connect. Maybe because sin has gotten in the way. And it, and it, and it's, and it's hardened you a little bit. God is saying, listen, not only come and receive mercy and grace, I want to, you can come approachingly, confidently, but I want to hear you. I want to hear you because I want to answer your prayer. Verse 15. And if we know that he hears us in whatever we ask, we know that we have the requests that we have asked of him. We know that we have. This is an emphatic statement. And this is, and this is in the present tense. You know, this is not God is saying, hey, um, you're going to have. No, but when you come and you speak to me, I, I will hear you as my child. But what John is saying here is, you have that request. You have it. Not only do we know that God answers prayers, but God will answer and will give presently an answer and a yes to the request of his children when it's in accordance to his will. He will give a yes. It says here, you have. You have the request. Now, this is not a name it and claim it theology. You know, this is not, you know what, man, uh, man, I want I want that Porsche I've been wanting for a while. Or, you know, I want, Lord, you know, I, I, I really like that million dollar home. I know I can't afford it, but Lord, you know, can you just give it to me by tomorrow? No, no, you know, this is not what John is saying. But John is saying that when we pray according to his will, he says, you have that. He will hear you and he will answer it. That request. Abraham prayed for a son that God promised to give him. And it was only 25 years later that God gave it to him. God is saying, you have what you've requested. But I'm going to put it on layaway, and I'm going to fulfill that because it is in accordance to my will. And that's the condition. We need to pray according to his will. As children who have been given assurance, as children who we know we have eternal life through Jesus Christ, we come 
And the more we experience Jesus, we're going to long for His will to be done on earth as it is in heaven. That's what this according to His will means. It means praying in line with God's heart and plan in mind. So if you're ever wondering, I wonder what your will is, God. Go to the compass. Go to the compass. In here, we have God's heart and His plan. And we have it before us. Jesus makes this excellent connection where He not only is driven by the plan and the heart of the Father in redemption, but He then prays back the heart and the plan of God. And he does this actually in John chapter 15. He tells his disciples, if you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. So when you're doubting, I wonder what God's will is. Go to the compass. Get to know God. Get to know His thoughts. Get to know His, His heart. Not only for you, but for those around you. And before you know it, you and I are going to start praying for things that not only reflect His heart in Scripture, but we're going to start seeing them fulfilled. One of the things that we can also know as we pray is that as He answered prayers, sometimes we don't see it fulfilled right in front of us, do we? Sometimes we don't see the answer until much later. I mean, make no mistake, God says to His children, you will have what you requested when it's according to my will. And even though sometimes we don't see it, perhaps it's the element of faith that says, God, you know what? I don't see it. In the same way that Abraham waited 25 years for his son Isaac, I don't see what I'm asking from you come to fruition. But I'm going to thank you. I'm going to thank you. I'm going to thank you that you are a good God, that you love your children, and that your will is good, pleasing, and perfect. And so by faith, I'm going to thank you that you, as I pray back your word, you fulfill your promises in Jesus. And when we pray, we pray with a posture of obedience, getting ready to do His will. I mean, 1 John chapter 3, verse 22 spoke about this, about praying in God's will, right? I mean, we can't just desire it and discern it. We must pursue it. We must obey it. First John 3.22, he says, And whatever we ask, we receive from Him because we keep His commandments and do what pleases Him. Father, if You're willing, remove this cup from me, Jesus said. Nevertheless, not my will, but Yours, Your will be done. In the fifth observation, our prayer can have a saving outcome. Our prayer can have a saving outcome. This is faith, righteousness, and love being put on display here. Verse 16 and 17. If anyone sees his brother committing a sin, not leading to death, he shall ask and God will give him life to those who commit sins that do not lead to death. There is sin that leads to death, I did not say that one should pray for that. All wrongdoing is sin. But there is sin that does not lead to death. And I gotta confess to you that as I, as I was chewing on those verses, it, 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 it's, it's difficult. Um, as a matter of fact, uh, there, it, it's hard to land real hard on one spot. But, uh, but I'm gonna do my best. I'm gonna, I'm gonna share with you what I think, um, John is trying to communicate to the church here. 
Verse, the first part of verse 16, John is saying, listen, we have a loving responsibility. We have a loving responsibility to our brothers and sisters. When we see them struggling in sin, we don't go and gossip about them. No, we don't, we don't throw our hands up in the air and be like, gosh, I, I knew it. Here we go again. You know, we don't, we don't, we don't judge them. We pray for them. We pray for them. These are sins that are not leading to death. Sins of ignorance, frailty, personal weakness. We, we come realizing that all wrongdoing is sin. Verse 17. We come humbly because we, we recognize, man, you know what? If it wasn't because of the grace of God, where would I be today? Where would my struggle be? We all sin. And we all recognize that if it wasn't because of prayer, I wonder where our lives would be. You know, we, 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 uh, we probably all know someone who, who's prayed for us. We probably all know someone who, who has told us, you know what, um, I remember you X amount of years ago in the past and God, God has done a tremendous gracing. That's my story, church. It, 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 it was my mother. It, it was people in the church praying for me. And where would I be if it wasn't because they prayed? They asked God not only save him, but use him. Prayer is essential in the restoration process. And we see a promise here that when we pray, that when we pray for our brother and sister in a sin that they're doing that doesn't lead to death, it says that God will give him life. If they truly are believers, God will give them life. It will restore the joy and vitality of their salvation. And perhaps even restore it if physical health has been, has, has been dampened, has been harmed. Restore them as well. Ever wonder why God puts brothers and sisters in our lives that are just hard to love? Ever wonder why God puts brothers and sisters in our lives that are weak in the faith? It's to get us to pray. It's to get us to love them. It's to get us to practice the gospel, what Jesus Christ did for us and still continues to do through his grace for us. But John is also saying that we should not pray for something. The sin that leads to death. I do not say that one should pray for that. Now, this, this sin is not specific. Uh, you know, it doesn't tell us here. It, it, um, and, and it appears from the grammar that it's not one particular sin. Oh, it's sexual immorality. Or it's, uh, specifically idolatry. No, but, it seems that one, um, it, it's a pattern. And two, uh, the people in, in John's time, the church, must have known what the sin was. But what is the sin that leads to death? Is it spiritual or physical death? Now, there are two major camps between commentators. And, and the first camp would say, you know, this, this, sin, this, this sin that leads to death is blasphemy. It's apostasy. It's blasphemy against the Holy Spirit and or apostasy rejecting the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's saying, you know what, I, I don't believe what Christ has done for me. And so life and death are seen as spiritual. So, for example, the, the false teachers that we've been reading about in 1 John, these Gnostics, how they came from us, John is saying, well, these, these are it. False teachers, the, the ones that have left the faith. And so in 1 John chapter 2, chapter 4, Hebrews 6, Hebrews 10. And, and, and apparently the, the sin that leads to death is described as a refusing 
of not only the work of the Holy Spirit, but also the saving work, not only in the particular's life, but in others' lives. The only problem with this is that John is speaking of a brother. He's not speaking of a non-Christian. He, if, if we, if we stay close with, with how he's been using the word brother, he's, he's been consistent. He only calls brother those who have been saved by Christ. A true Christian can turn into a false teacher. Can a true Christian lose their salvation then? I mean, it would seem like it's contradictory. So here, life and death, I believe, is speaking of as physical. Almost like God is saying, if you continue down that road, you're, you're my child, but I'm going to dishonorably discharge you. The brother is truly a genuine believer, but he persists in unrepentant sin. And there are some sins and patterns of sin that receive God's judgment and physical death, not spiritual death, because once saved, always saved. But this idea of, of physical death is seen all throughout the Scriptures. See, in Genesis chapter 3, Adam and Eve, they ate from the tree. And God said, if you eat from it, you shall surely die. Genesis 6 saw the sin of mankind as God looked at, at, at humanity. And it, and it seemed here, he says, that every intention of their thoughts and heart was only evil. And so God brought about destruction. And he saved only eight souls. Leviticus 10, the death of Nadab and Abahu. Aaron's sons who, who offered a strange fire before the Lord, which he commanded them not to, God killed them with a consuming fire. And then he told Aaron, do not mourn their death. Hezekiah 38, 1 through 5. Hezekiah was sick and he was facing imminent death. And the Lord ordered Isaiah, go and tell him his end. And the scriptures tell us that Hezekiah wept bitterly. He, he was repentant. And he pleaded with the Lord. And so Isaiah said, Thus says the God of David, your father, I have heard your prayer and have seen your tears. Behold, I will add 15 years to your life. Acts chapter 5 in the New Testament, Ananias and Sapphira, how they lied to the Lord and to the church, and God struck them dead on the spot. We see 1 Corinthians chapter 11, 29-30, how some of the Corinthian believers were partaking of the Lord's Supper, and they were doing it like it was a picnic. They were sitting on the side and unrepentantly coming to the Lord's table, partaking of the Lord's Supper, not confessing their sin. And the Scriptures tell us that some became weak and ill, and some even died prematurely. They fell asleep. They didn't knock out over the table. They just they died because of their sin. We read in, in Hebrews the warning that God gives to us. Because for I do not want you to be unaware, brothers, that our fathers were all under the cloud and all passed through the sea and all were baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea and all ate the same spiritual food and all drank the same spiritual drink for they drank from the spiritual rock that followed them and the rock was Christ. They, these, these were God's children. Salvation was provided for them as God's people in the desert. Nevertheless, with most of them, God was not pleased for they were overthrown in other words, they were laid low in the wilderness. Verse 6, And now these things took place as examples for us, that we might not desire evil as they did, that we as God's children would, would not covet sin 
Do not be idolaters as some of them were. As it is written, the people sat down to eat and drink and rose up to play. We must not indulge in sexual immorality as some of them did and 23,000 fell in a single day. We must not put Christ to the test as some of them did and were destroyed by serpents nor grumble as some of them did and were destroyed by the destroyer. Now these things happened to them as an example. For they were written down for our instruction on whom the end of the ages has come. Therefore let anyone who thinks that he stands take heed lest he fall. No temptation has overtaken you and it's not coming to man. God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond your ability. But with the temptation, he will also provide the way of escape that you may be able to endure it. In other words, we, we see God's holiness and, and his justice and his mercy in saying, the work I've begun again, I'm going to finish it. But I don't want to finish it this way. I want you to live an everlasting life starting now, here, not just in heaven. I want you to live life here in Jesus. Yes, God corrects and disciplines His children out of love for them. And He does this for His glory and the purity of the church and our good. And God cares about the quality of our lives more than about the length of our lives. He'd rather bring us to heaven than to watch us tear ourselves to pieces and sin. This is the love of a good father. And I think we can apply this fifth observation, even though it took us length of time to process it in this way. What it comes down to is that if you and I see a brother or sister sinning and is still alive, pray for them. Pray for them. And, and, and in our prayer, God will use that prayer for us to really reveal the love of Christ in messy and loving ways. To redeem them from their sin. To, to bring them back. Before we leave this verse, some of you may be asking, but wait, doesn't John say don't pray? What's this whole thing about don't pray? He's basically saying the brother is dead. You can't pray for him. Don't waste time on that. God wants to give life, not death. Pray that there would be restoration. Pray that God would give life. James 5. James 5. Lastly, we know the third thing. We not only know that we have eternal life. We not only know that God hears our prayers and answers them, but we know that we have victory over sin because we belong to God, church. We have victory over sin because we belong to God. Verse 18 and 19. We know that everyone who has been born of God does not keep on sinning. But he who was born of God protects him. And the evil one does not touch him. We know that we are from God and the whole world lies in the power of the evil one. This is a great reminder this morning. Because as a believer... John is reminding us, you are no longer defined by your sin. Yes, there's the struggle of sin, but you are no longer defined by it. As a matter of fact, if we were to look back in 1 John and, and, and look at all the times that he reminds us that, that, that we are not children of God and not children of the devil, he says, this is what really, who you are now. Live in that reality. That you have been born of God. And that you are no longer under sin and penalty of that sin. That sin is no longer your master. But that you have been given birth by God. And therefore, God is making you new. So that person you were is no longer you. Oh, but I struggle. Yes, but that is no longer you. 
Oh, but, you know, sometimes I have these inclinations that I really want to go back. But that is no longer you. God has given you birth and He wants you to experience the life that you have in Christ. I was, I was thinking of, of not too long ago, the, 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 uh, the words of a sister who's in our congregation, where she was just struggling with, with, with just a plethora of things, um, in her family and, and wondering how she was going to carry the weight of, 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 of what was going on. Uh, you know, th- the temptation was to respond how she used to. To, 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 to go to the things that she used to do to respond and, 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 and deal with the issues. But the thing that she kept on saying is, I am no longer that person. I've been given a new identity. I am a child of God. I am a child of God. And this morning, this is the assurance that John wants to give the church. He wants to give you. You are no longer who you were. You've been birthed by God. John Calvin, in his Institutes of the Christian Religion, he talks about what a, what a blessing and utter joy it, it is to realize that we're God's children, that we're God's children now, and on how that affects how we live our lives. He says, we're not our own. Let not our reason nor our will therefore sway our plans and deeds. We are not our own. Let us therefore not set it as our goal to seek what is expedient for us according to our flesh. We are not our own. Insofar as we can, let us therefore forget ourselves and all that is ours. Conversely, we are gods. Not little gods, but we are gods. His children, let us live for Him and die for Him. We are God's. Let His wisdom and will therefore rule all of our actions. We are God's. Let all the parts of our life accordingly strive toward Him as our only lawful goal. Verse 18. And we can end with this. You're wondering where your protection is going to come from. Because I think if we're real, uh, thank you, Lord, for this assurance, but man, I have, I feel weak sometimes in my sin. What do I do? What, what, you know, am I alone in this? I mean, yes, I know where I stand and, 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 and Lord, I, I, I trust that that's going to, to give fruit with how I love others, how I walk. And pursuing righteousness and, 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 and in growing in my knowledge and my maturity of my faith. But Lord, I feel weak sometimes. Am I alone? And brother and sister, let me leave you with this. We have a helper. And yes, it's the Holy Spirit, but in these verses, we got a bodyguard. And that is Jesus Christ. Jesus will keep you and I. We don't keep ourselves. We lean on Him. He who was born of God protects Him. And the evil one does not touch Him. Christ Jesus began at work at the cross and gave us salvation. And Christ Jesus, He has this work that's being done right now in heaven, not only interceding for us, but making a place for us. And there he's maintaining our salvation. Jesus will guard us to the end. John 17, 12. Jesus prays to the Father, when I was with them, with my disciples, with mine, I kept them in your name, which you have given me. I have guarded them. I guarded them. When, 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 when Peter denied me three times, you know, when, when, you know, man, all the weaknesses of the disciples, Jesus not only saw them, but he foresaw them. And he says, I have guarded them. 
and not one of them has been lost except the son of destruction, Judas, that the scripture might be fulfilled. Jude 24, and with this we'll finish. Now to him who is able to keep us from stumbling and to present us blamelessly before the presence of his glory with great joy, to him be the honor and the glory forever and ever. Amen. The church, we have an assurance. And that assurance is a relationship with Jesus Christ. It's life eternal. And that life eternal will revolutionize the way we live our lives. That's how we know we're His. We're going to pursue righteousness through His grace. We're going to love our brothers and sisters through His grace. And we're going to grow in the faith that He's given us through the grace that He keeps pouring on us through His Spirit's work. Let's pray. Lord, I thank You that that You've given us a relationship with Yourself. Thank You that when we were lost and dead in our sin, in blatant rebellion to You, You gave us a gift that we could only receive. You gave us the gift of Yourself that not only began a saving work in our lives, but that that saving work is growing to one day full maturity where we will see you face to face, the one who made our very souls. Lord, I pray that this morning if there's someone who who has not yet trusted you for that life, Lord, I pray that as you say in your word, we pray it back that you would grant them understanding as you said you would. And that you would save through the faith and the grace that you will freely provide for them. Change their lives as you continue to change ours. It's in your name, Jesus. The Son of Man, our Savior and Redeemer. Amen.